Hello and welcome to What Goes Around. My name is Deb Grant. And I am Eamon Murtagh. This week, uh, guess what, I'm having a rant. This week I'm having a rant at, uh, at my neighbours, my awful neighbours. And just to keep in with Deb, I've decided to have a rant too. And I'm ranting at people who just seem to give up on music for no good reason. Plus, we talk to bass legend and uh, just general great storyteller and all-round good guy, Jao Wobble. I'm excited about this one. That is a lovely thing to have. A bit of wobble in the house. Shall we pod then? We simply must. Let's do it. We simply must. (laughs) Here's a lady with something to say. DJ Deb Grant. Tell us what goes around. That's the intro I needed because I feel like it's been a while since I've had a good old rant. I feel like I've been quite... Is this true? <laughs> Am I lying to myself? I feel like I've been... Is this thing on? Is this thing on? <laughs> Shut up and listen. Um, I... <laughs> the floor is yours, darling. Take it oh, away. <laughs> I'll never give it back to you. So, yeah, it's been a while since I've had a good old rant about um, something that's been irritating me. Something really got under my skin a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, so I, how much context do I give here? I moved to, after living in a in a lovely, like, ex-council block in Hackney for 10 years, I moved mm-hmm. to Hackney Wick and I now live in a new build block. And, you know, some of my neighbours are lovely. Some of them not so much. We have a Facebook mm. group where we all sort of share our concerns. I mean, 90% of it is people asking to borrow parking spaces. Uh, but mm. aside from that, there's, uh, there's sometimes a little bit of juice and um, people leaving stuff out for free and then people taking it and not saying thank you, that kind of thing. Just basic courtesy <laughs> seems <Ooh>. to... <laughs> basic, basic common courtesy seems to be beyond... Some of these people. Uh, anyway, um, so mm. there was a, a rave happening across the river from, my, from my bedroom window. <laughs> yes, it's Hackney Wick, you know, this happens. But I, I was particularly devastated. It started up at 20 to 12 and I had Oof. to get up at half past four that morning Oof. to go to. And I just didn't sleep. I mean, I literally didn't sleep. And then I had to go to a music festival and present a show and do a load of interviews just all on a cheese toasty, basically, mm. <laughs> and no sleep. Um, it's a pretty good cheese toasty, thank God. But um, but yeah, so I posted in the group. I was like, oh, like, is this like, is this going to go on all night? Just looking for a bit of solidarity from my neighbours. Mm. And most people were like, oh, this is terrible. Like, I'm pregnant and I haven't gotten any sleep. Like, you know, people sort of sharing. And then this one guy was just like, yeah, good. Hanky Wick is coming back to life again, man. And it was just like, oh, you fucking mm. loser. Like, first of all, this rave was going on constantly throughout lockdown as well. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So when we talked about it, and it, yeah. it, 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 if it's come back to life, it didn't die properly. In yeah, the first exactly. Place. I feel like it's happened less often this summer than it did when we were supposed to be locked down. Anyway, um, this guy posted some... So this guy has made an enemy of me. I don't think I've ever actually seen him in the building. Um, (laughs) Pray for that guy. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, he is now on my list. And um, so then there was this other post where someone was saying like, oh, whoever's blasting that music right now has real good taste and it turned out it was this guy my new nemesis uh. and he replied Eamon with one of the cringiest fucking things that anyone can ever say which is uh, thanks yeah on vinyl <laughs> as if it makes uh. a fucking difference is uh. that not and this was just making me think like 
You and I obviously love records and we collect records. We're, we're passionate about records. But the idea that like it just crosses a line, doesn't it, for someone to say, yeah, uh, like on vinyl. I mean, the, the thing is, like, get, get the context, though. I mean, she's not. I mean, she's saying, yeah, it's a good record, but she's also saying, shut the fuck up. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then to to be quite so you know full of yourself to think oh, she really means it. She really wants to tell me that I'm a genius. I I know what I can do. I can tell her that I'm playing it on vinyl. Is that are those not just words that make your face automatically just pucker? Like yeah, I got that on vinyl. Like I mean, you really. That? I mean, I I love I love records as you know. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely obsessed by them. I've got. Mm-hmm. A whole wall full and more mm. um but there is a point where you just think you know I, he sounds he sounds like a cartoon hackney hipster i mean really <laughs> that's like that's like a full house isn't it oh the kids are all right man it's like oh you like my blaring music in the middle of the night yeah it's on vinyl dude you should have asked him whether it was an original or a repress that would have fucked him I, up oh god i don't want to engage it was someone else who asked him i wouldn't uh no you know. i i'm no, on side of the building that's quite civilised. They have the riffraff over on their side, clearly. Right, right, I yeah. see. Uh, yeah. well, I don't know, it makes a change from when he's bins, though, on the, on the group, <laughs> group notice board. So. It's true. But also, like, I knew that guy was an idiot, and now it's confirmed. <laughs> I knew he was an idiot, and now I know for sure. It just made me... You just, go on. You just want to walk past his house now with, like, armfuls of really rare vinyl <laughs> until he finally stops you and says, oh, I see you're into vinyl. I said, yeah, but I'm not the twat who plays it at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, man. I wanted to, I was actually thinking, like, maybe you should change my Facebook cover photo to a picture of me with all my records. With all the records, yeah, do that. You think you have a fucking record collection. Yeah. Um, But I just, it's funny, isn't it? Like, it's amazing how there's a line that's crossed when someone says, I've got that on vinyl, even though it's a fact. You know, it's mm. like something that true record people would never, ever say. And they reveal themselves as, you know, amateur wannabes by saying yeah. that phrase. Yeah, because basically what you do is you say, oh, I've got that. Yeah. And then someone says, have you? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and if they if they are really interested, then you say it's on vinyl. <laughs> but otherwise you do just genuinely sound like an Egypt. It's yeah. just, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't need that. I mean, like, I, yeah. Screw off. Who cares what it's on? Yeah. It's like when you, uh, when you play those uh, Northern Soul gigs and if you pull out uh, an LP, people go, oh, what's yeah. he doing? He Your doesn't know what he's doing. Uh. A compilation bastard. <laughs> I paid £800 for these three minutes of music. Well, fucking good for you. I paid 10 quid for this. It's got 10 of those on it. Yeah, exactly. Bargain. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it just made me cringe so hard. So now I'm watching this guy to see if he does anything else more to buy. Um, yeah, well, I think I think you should um, totally take him on and just, you know, be a bigger vinyl queen and <laughs> until until he feels compelled to say it, because if you really do have a bigger collection than him, then he'll want to be your friend and then you can snub him. <laughs> that would be tempting because, I mean, I get snubbed by them quite a lot. This is It just reminds me of like when I first started getting tattooed, I went to this like deep, dark, dank place um, in uh, in East London and you know, I kept coming back to see the same woman and, you know, eventually I got filled up with tattoos. And I remember her saying to me that, like, 
some people who get tattooed shouldn't really like they shouldn't have access to tattoos you know what I mean like obviously it's a thing that's accessible to all but there's yeah. like tattooed people and then there's tattooed people and I think it's the same with collecting records I say like such an arsehole but I don't care mm. this is cathartic you know there's people who just shouldn't have records like people who buy fucking albums at Tesco and that's what this guy is anyone who yeah. says I have that on vinyl well, it's people. If it, listen, if he goes to buy it because it's on vinyl, he's not buying it for the music, is it? And it's all about the music at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it, if, if you've got a, a CD, a mini disc, bring back the mini disc, or any of those formats, you know, whatever it is. Do you love the music? You love the music? Great. If you love the music, you're all right by me. But, you know, we know what's great about the flat black plastic, but you don't have to go on about it. Exactly. Yeah. Fool. The fool. That's what I like about this podcast. It's like a very exclusive club. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's basically me and you. It's been such a long time since I asked you this question. I'd really like to know what goes around. Well, it's kind of a perennial question that goes around my brain quite a lot. Um, So I'm in a number of uh, Facebook discussion groups on music and WhatsApp discussion groups on music Mm. because um, my world is small, but it's very noisy. And um, they, they kind of vary from you're very clued up Love will say the day posse who are all like massive collectors and really into their stuff and you know want to know who produced that when and whatever and then just people who who like a bit of music and one of the less um sort of uh, in-depth groups featured a group of um, middle-aged men who uh, started talking uh, amongst themselves and i was watching the thread grow with kind of yearning horror as they slowly descended into that time old classic it's like well Glastonbury nothing's really very good anymore hasn't been any, there hasn't been any good music made since about 1999 and I just I just I mean I just despair of these people and I, I did a little tweet saying I can't believe there are still people you know who of my age who are out there and and say things like there's no good music made anymore. Mm. There's so much music. And when, when I tweeted it, I was quite heartened because the response was, uh, it, my Twitter feed went a bit mental for a while with people going, I hate these type of people too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just guessing that these people who replied to that tweet are actually our listeners. So this is all good. Yeah. Um, but what can we do to stop the, to, or just to convince these people that life didn't stop when the Red Hot Chili Peppers released a, Arcadium Stadium. What, what, how can we change that around? You have to have a sort of... Uh, the, it takes powers of self-interrogation. You know, I'm constantly asking myself, like, I don't like a lot of things, as you know. <laughs> um, you know, so I'll be watching TV or something and I'll be... I'll, I'll, you know, it sort of takes a little bit of critical thinking. Like, I'll think, do mm. I not like this because it's new and scary <laughs> or do I not like it because <laughs> it's crap and like actually a lot of the time I find myself listening to stuff and thinking if I heard this when I was 16 it would blow my mind um, mm. it's just it is definitely like it can be daunting to especially when you feel sometimes you know sometimes 
it can be easy to feel like the new stuff isn't for you. And so you preempt mm. that alienated feeling by being like, oh, it's shit anyway, you know. Mm. But the idea that nothing good is being made is absolute nonsense. I mean... It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's, I mean, the, the thing yeah. is, there's more stuff being made now than ever before. Yes, yeah. And there's a, there's, there are more places to find it now than ever before. And yet I had loads of people on this thread it's basically saying, oh, you can't find good music anymore. It's like, oh, have you tried fucking Google, mate? <laughs> Just, yeah, you know, seriously. it's not hard. It really isn't, you know. Yeah. And then the other one that, that came up quite a lot in this, this discussion, which kind of drives me balmy as well is like oh, i don't have the time to listen to new music <laughs> but you've just done 10 posts about love island you haven't missed a single episode this month you have time you're just not using it well you know yeah it's definitely one of those um you know that speech in the simpsons where grandpa's like now what i'm what i'm with isn't it anymore and what's it <laughs> seems weird and scary to me it'll happen to you it does yeah yeah and it does happen to a lot of people yeah, yeah. I, I i want i want to help these people though i want to turn them around i want to i want to get them i think i want to explain to each and every single one of them that great music isn't great because of the time you had when you listened to it mm. right you know so the stone roses fantastic i'm glad you like them i liked them too i enjoyed them at the time i still enjoy them but obviously i'm not 20 anymore i'm not 19 anymore and 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 neither is the person who who's talking about them and and saying there's been nothing good since the difference is that you know i'm not looking to rebuild my youth every time i find a new piece of music i'm looking to enjoy the music mm. and i i find it really odd and the other one they, they that quite often comes up is they say oh well you know used to be you know everyone got into that and, and not you know there's nothing like that that brings everyone together anymore and hence all the glastonbury discussions of you know what's what's allowed and what isn't allowed on the main stage and i'm like yeah but we all used to watch top of the pops 20 million of us every thursday and it was like you know we all saw exactly the same thing mm. now i have great nostalgia for top of the pops as you know mm -hmm. but i don't think i'd swap that for what we have now where I can put my hands on a million different genres in five minutes flat and, you know, find curators. It's not just, you know, you don't have to just scrabble around the dark. Find someone who likes an album that you quite like and then listen to what else they're listening to. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. But don't you think it's a fear response, though? It's like it's so daunting that you get so much access to everything. It's easy yeah, to just be like, oh, it's all shit anyway. It's probably quite a lot of like, but if I like this and then if someone cool says it's rubbish mm. <laughs> then what do i do <laughs> and my my reply to that is just uh, fuck them do you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. it, if it brings you joy it brings you joy and i think uh, one of the joys of getting older actually is that you no longer have to like things because they're trendy or cool you can like them just because you like them yeah. so if billy eilish got you bopping in your front room to to glastonbury or whatever then fair enough enjoy yeah. it mate yeah. enjoy it and who cares if someone says oh it's all production it's not proper songwriting anymore yeah. well yeah but you know life moves on that's you know, the we, thing. That's the thing I'm talking about. Exactly. It's just like if you identify something like that, but then you have to be like, but why do I think that's bad? It's just that it's different. <laughs> it's not that it's bad. It's just different from what I'm familiar with. But you know, sometimes when you're just inherently cool, you don't have to worry about whether or not the music you like is cool. I, you know, I still walk around listening to Anya. 
I maintain. <laughs> I maintain it's not going to hurt my reputation. That's one of the reasons I like Six Music, actually. I do think they, they're kind of, de- I mean. They're the, good, yeah. yeah. They're they the they throw all sorts of things in and they and they, they manage to make a nice blend between um, lots of lovely old familiar things we all enjoyed way back when. But then you also, you know, you get your your wet legs or whatever thrown in and it you know and it's, it fits in fine do you know what i mean it's great yeah and i i wish it's not like i'm not having a go at these people really i just want to shake them out of the doldrums i want i want to say you know you are living in a blessed age actually mm. if you if you liked i don't know fields of the nephilim you know find find something that came off the back of that find someone who was into that who's still buying music who's still listening to stuff find out what they are looking for you know our our friend um uh, derek who did the uh, make me believe in goth ages ago mm. he's running these amazing goth festivals with all these new bands that uh, you or i have no idea about <laughs> and i don't know if we'd like them all but you know the point is that they're there yeah. And if you're into that once, you can go and get it again. Of course, you won't be 19 anymore, so it won't have the thrill of youth added into the elixir. But we will have the added enjoyment of just being able to say, I know what I like and I like that and yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also think, just to throw another point into the mix, I also mm. think that people always act like they are eliciting the spirit of John Peel when they're like, oh, this craft is no good music made since 1977. And like, I think Tom Ravenscraft made a really good point uh, in an interview a little while ago. Uh, he was saying that um, loads of people think that uh six music is sort of very inherently john john peel and actually he was saying it's not really true because what john peel did was always look for new music he was always looking for new stuff across all genres he wasn't mm. just like oh this yeah. is punk man this is the you know he was like he had he had a real inquisitive spirit like right up to the end when he was playing dubstep yeah. and everything else you know so actually well, as, yeah when we, when we had plastician on i mean he said that the, the week before John Peel died, he was writing to Plastician and saying, I, I really love the music you're making. Uh, who are some more uh, DJs and producers that I should check out so yeah. I can get further down this? You know, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Exactly. That, John Peel didn't sit there and have visions come into his mind <laughs> of like what the new thing was. He heard a snippet of something and then he followed threads yeah. and he dug down and he, he mined that stuff out. And as you say... Uh, the one thing you can say about John Peel was he always wanted something new, even if it was something that was really abrasive and something that you couldn't make head and a tail of. Yeah. And maybe not all of it stuck, but the point was stay curious, yes. stay thirsty. If you're curious and you're thirsty and you want that experience of some endomorphins going off in your brain, you've got to do the work. Yeah, exactly. I think our work here is done, Eamon. I think so, yeah, yeah. If you're listening, go out and find someone who hasn't bought a record since 1999 and and force them to listen to something good. That always goes down well, forced to listen. <laughs> what we're gonna what we're gonna what we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. That's right! Name that tune. Uh, uh. On today's show, we welcome one of the finest bass players in the world, Jar Wobble. 
a man whose very name evokes the mystic vibrations and whose work has shaken windows all over the world. As Jar Wobble and family and with the Invaders of the Heart, he's toured the world many times over and remains a celebrated festival favourite to this day. His reputation was built on his groundbreaking work for Public Image LTD alongside John Lydon and Keith Levine in the late 70s and early 80s. And in the 90s, any indie kid will remember the shimmering bassline on Primal Screams Higher Than The Sun. There's always something distinctive and innovative about a jar wobble bassline, and we're delighted to have him here on What Goes Around to talk about his phonographic memories. Hello. How are you doing, Ivan? And, and Deb, how are you both going? We're great, man. It's lovely to have you on. Thanks so much for coming to talk to us. My pleasure. Absolutely. So you've been playing now for like 40 odd years and still going strong. Yeah, I think it's like 44 years. 44 years. Yeah, it's a long time. And every time I play, I kind of think, wow, I'm still doing this. So we did last night and every night you just think, wow. You know, and you have lots of those wow moments. And when I left the venue last night, that's really buzzing. And I leave to walk to the car park and it's raining and it's Sunday and it all just feels so surreal. This old Mm. bloke Mm. meandering back to the car park through the rain-soaked streets of Leeds, just thinking, God, I'm still doing this. This is mental. You know, most people retire from any job after 30 years. Um, but still doing it. I still really enjoy it. I was going to say, is it, does it still do it for you? Or is, it, is it now work or is it still a joy? Uh, the logistics side is what, because I, I tour manage. I'm re- I've never really had managers because that 20% they take, mm. if you're working at a consistent level, um, that's your kind of profit margin you're dealing with business-wise. You know, mm. that, that horrible down-to-work business thing that you've got to be able to pay your musicians and, and 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 pay your bills obviously as you as you survive as a musician then your kind of profit margins kind of 20 25 30 percent so you end up managing yourself which you can do from a phone now to be fair you know? yeah um so i book the hotels and all that stuff so that side of it is is graft you know, especially at the moment where any flight you book is guaranteed to be cancelled. Yeah. You get the email yeah. and you can't actually talk to anyone about rescheduling it. You have to you have to talk to a chat bot to start with. And then you eventually mm. chat to a human being and kind of get the flight, another flight booked somehow. You know, yeah. but, um, but that side's graph. But the actual playing base, the vibration coming up through your feet on stage and all that is still an absolute buzz. You know, it's like you're connected to the power of the universe yeah, still, fabulous. you know and like and every gig's a bit different and every audience is a bit different and so yeah i'm still loving it you know what's your what's your audience like now do you, is there a sort of consistent kind of um you know is it different every time you go out on stage who 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 would you like who do you who's kind of following your music now would you say it's really mixed i mean last night there was a, a lot of younger women kind of mm-hmm. come I think younger women are getting more assertive in what they like. Mm. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of great young women bass players, for instance, you know, mm. around now. You know, so I think bass is pr- marginally, I'd say there's probably, I might be wrong, but just more women players than, mm. than the, the men. I may be wrong, but who knows? And how do you start defining everything anyway? Mm. But, um, and so the, there's a younger demographic now is quite wide it can change a bit audience to audience you're still some audiences it'd be like 
gnarly old white geezers, you know, <laughs> of an age, you know. Sort of uh-huh. thing. But, you know, generally, yeah, like last night, you just noticed a really very young, kind of quite millennial as well there last night you know mm-hmm. um so it's quite it's quite a wide age range I mean, it's funny because i started a community project off in south london that i'm very involved in and i did that it was just i thought loneliness is a key issue so let's do something to do with loneliness right. and it was aimed very much at old lonely blokes mm. who have got isolated and so we started it and lo and behold we ended up with a lot of women and younger people so that was this thing where, you know, you expected to get a certain age bracket and actually ended up with a much wider demographic yeah. than you would have imagined. And that's kind of what's happened with the shows. What made you want to start something for for lonely men? I'm really curious <laughs> so I, about that. I, I, well, I think we've all, well, I certainly have. I think most of us have felt lonely at some point in our lives. Mm. Um, you know, that, that feeling of being a partner, so even if you're in a crowd you know, mm. lonely in a crowd, that, that, you know, cliche and felt that, okay, I just want to, I want to do something that's of, of good, of use and do something kind of good, make, make something happen, you know, yeah. start something off that helps people. And I thought, should I do something maybe to do with addiction? And I thought, well, let's go deeper than that. Let's, let's, let's start to go deeper than just addiction and, and find the stuff that informs addiction and encourages addiction. Yeah. You know? um, and that sense of void and loneliness, I think is, is, you know, part of the human condition almost, you know? So I thought, okay, let's have a go at just, it's a big subject to tackle, but, but, but let's have a go, you know? Yeah. And um, so I, I, I've got two great people that I do it with. Uh, it's based in the borough of Merton, you know, mm-hmm. and, they bought a lot of energy and there's a guy, Anthony Hopkins, not the Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> that would I, be weird. <laughs> although I have met the Anthony Hopkins, uh-huh. not what a nice bloke, incredibly nice bloke, actually, you know, didn't need to be, I was just introduced to him somewhere and what a lovely fellow, you know, um, but this is another Anthony Hopkins who's very big music freak, quite senior at the council, loves his music, really got involved and helped make it happen. And a guy called John Klein, who was the guitarist with Susie and the Banshees, oh, yeah. amongst other things. And John does a lot of the, we built a studio. So people come in on a Monday and they, every other Monday and they jam. It's become like a club. We've had 500 people come through the door wow. over the course of a couple of years. And um, they come and jam um, and you have to move everyone off the main area. Everyone gets 20, 25 minutes and then, the next lot of players come on and pick the baton up. And there's other areas of the of the space that we use for people learning guitar. And on Tuesdays in the recording studio, we have one, two, maybe three people at a time come in and they make a track with us. Fab. So it's a proper, John's a very good engineer, producer, you know. So the people get the chance to work at quite a high professional level to make a track. Yeah. All kinds of people come, you know, some of them, technically, you know, they're homeless. You know, one or two of the people that come, you'd never know that, you know, um, they're very presentable and they're lovely, actually just lovely, lovely people, mm. who, who, you know, they're by the grace of God could go any of us increasingly, yeah. you know, the safety yeah. nets have been removed. Um, and there's also lovely people that come from the leafier suburbs, you know, it's quite mixed that part of Southwest mm. London, you know, so and everyone comes on, everyone gets on, everyone mixes in. And it's very, it's very open. It's just very, very inclusive. 
you know. Mm. Uh, and inclusive, it's a modern word, inclusivity, but how I, I think the old Cockney way of doing things is very much coming in, everyone's welcome. Yeah. Come and be part of the family, and so that's how it is, you know. So it, I've, I've got used to this kind of wider demographic, age-wise and sex-wise, and everything. And I think that's what I've seen with uh, with with our shows. Funny enough, especially last night, you mm. know, we don't even really comment on, on it anymore. There were sort of really feisty but respectful younger women who, you know, were not at all shy in coming forward and shouting out and having fun and dancing and really having a laugh you know um yeah. so very you know re- really great vibe yeah not not you know you notice that some nights more than others you know and it's lovely it means there's new generations of people who just love music and don't feel like they should be shut out i think age matters far less yeah yeah you know yeah they're, re- they're really not bothered with it it's not it's just a concept, I think, to them, you know. And it must be nice to know that your music is connecting with people across the board as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's the thing that you do. It's kind of reason for being, really. And mm. it's nice to do something that makes people happy and connects people in some way. So, yeah, that's that's really mm. what it's all about, whether it's on a recorded music. Because for years, going in the studio was the thing that I loved more than anything I think a lot of us felt like that and touring was something you felt a little bit but you didn't really you, you know you were having so much fun in the studio it was such a drag and it was so nerve-wracking to go out live and have to yeah. recreate stuff or whatever you know that you you tended to pull it off and that was seen very much as the thing you did to promote the records and that's where the money was that's how you made your living of course it's all completely reversed completely the other way around you have to go out to and play live to make a living now you've been doing this for 44 years like we said earlier and i mean do you you still feel those nerves that's still something you you have to get your mind in the right place before you walk on stage yeah, well, do you know what? If I'm feeling too, just a little bit too sleepy almost, or I, I, I'm known for this, the promoters know it, I have three or four double espressos. <laughs> because I wow. feel, if I'm not feeling nervy, I want to make myself feel nervy. Yeah, get that energy going, yeah. Yeah, and the adrenaline. You know, mm. you want that bit of an adrenaline rush. You want that bit of fear, the edge. I think it's a bit addictive, and it really, um, you know, fires you up somehow you know you don't want to be too coming on stage too relaxed in a way it isn't fantastic so no it, I, I do still get nervous I st- and I before if I haven't played for a while I have the dream the weird surreal Tony Soprano type <laughs> dreams I'm at the concert um, the band are there but now they're not um and I think I've probably forgotten to tell them. So now I'm kind of standing on the stage on my own. I don't even have an instrument. Oh, I no. Remember, I can't oh, no. remember where the bass is. Naked and, in uh, clown shoes, that sort of thing. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there's a screen. Then then there's a screen between me and the audience. They can't even hear me. Yeah. And they're just looking at me. And, and I wake up and I, I start to want to check my diary and phone everybody. And yeah, that'll keep you on your toes. This is just a dream. This is just It reminds me a little bit. I, I, don't know, I don't think you were involved with the Flowers of a Romance thing, but didn't didn't Pill play behind a screen once in New York? And there was a 
pretty that near was after near Riot. Yeah. That was after well, you, wasn't it? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Maybe, but they had, maybe, a, they had big trouble with behind the screen. That The audience I, did not like that. I think the screen got bashed to, to pieces. <laughs> really? I think, yeah. from what I heard, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a couple of years after I'd left, you know. But that's <laughs> why, that was why I left, because it was all shaping up to be sort of problematic and yeah. didn't need to be. You know? I mean, you must have played with some, to some pretty tough crowds in, in those early days, especially like coming off the back of, you know, the Sex Pistols and all, all that they were, and then having this extraordinary, completely unique sound, which just the world wasn't really ready for. There must have been a lot of, you know, punks out there who were looking at, at you newcomers and going, what, what, what have you done to well, my, my well, Sex Pistols? Funnily <laughs> enough, I mean, for people really like a single. So we started with public image yeah it was, it was very popular i think people generally thought this is great as i say to people my career started on a high with mm. a top two or three hit and it's been a gradual graceful decline <laughs> over the 44 <laughs> years since you know but um but we we did that and then of course we did the first album which had, had a couple of other kind of like driving kind of songs on mm. it but then we pretty much kind of went into Right, we can do this, that, this, that, and the other, go for all these stages and eventually kind of get there to this point with Metal Box, or we can just go there and do that, if you, you know, to this yeah. most direct, primal form of music you could make somehow, you know, and that's what we did. And it upset a lot of people, you know, a lot of people yeah. get it, they were angry with it. So you had that tail end of punk at the time where punk had turned very macho, mm. whereas it had been a kind of a it was a great scene for for people that were marginalized like girls yeah. girls could come come into that scene and and have extreme makeup and kind of be expressive and not worry about getting you know harassed sort of thing mm. um gays could could just be on the scene it was all just all kinds of marginal maverick people mm. all the people that probably didn't like games at school yeah you know the fun people you know but yeah. then it turned by 79 it got very beer boy so you had all the beer boys with the big mohicans it all got very macho and geezers basically wanting to fight and all the crap mm-hmm. you get when you get loads of blokes you know all too mm-hmm. much testosterone and all that rubbish so my first gig with Peel was actually in Belgium. It was the first time I'd been on an aeroplane. So we flew to Brussels. So normally you finish your first gig having half a pint of lager or something with your friends in the dressing room, all chatting away, and it's all very civilised. My first gig ended with a riot and tear gas <laughs> canisters being chucked by the police and with us barricaded in the dressing room. And I had a fight with the head of security. You know, um, I kicked him in the face, actually, like he was at the front of the stage. So which because he was making that that finger across the throat, I got to kill you, my friend. You yeah. Um, so I didn't know it was head of security. It was only art. Somebody said, you know, who that was, don't you? I said, oh, really? I said, it's the head of security. I said, oh, fucking hell. You're going to pick a fight. You might as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was this guy with a big leather jacket. But that was my first gig. And the second gig I got, got hit knocked out nearly by a frozen pig's head thrown from the circle um, high up in the in the gods uh, in paris you know so that was this was this is how my baptism into the game you know yeah Um, it was only after i left pill i started kind of they say that that paying your dues you started to run a band and learn how it works and do clubs Yeah. Nowadays, you get those um, kind of things as you go into venues. It's like no camera phones. I mean, your, your early experience is like no pigs' heads, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I felt like. Yeah, when I was 
I got very good at dodging bottles, Fran. I, I learned to, you know, to get out of the way quick. But the funny thing was, when we went to America, America, the old, I liked the audiences there at that point because they'd, they knew what we were about. They, they were people, they were audiences that they experienced on that Coleman and real left field kind of music. So they knew about atonal music and they were musically very literate, I thought. You know. mm. yeah. Well, your um, I mean, your your influences from that time as well were were you know it was it was a big sea change that whole thing and and the way this sort of uh, mostly through your bass you know you brought this kind of dub reggae vibe into the the consciousness of a lot of people. I think there was a lot, there's a lot of DJ work going on in the background and you know the Clash did a little bit of that, but I think you guys really brought dub into people's consciousness and uh i mean you've you've obviously loved reggae for a long time tell us how you kind of got into that sound and well it it wasn't a big deal it was ska music and and blue beat as it was also called in the east end it was called blue beat Mm. um in the 60s was the popular urban music of its time so you had Desmond Decker, uh, you had you know Liquidator records like that were mm-hmm. Harry, you know, Harry Jan, the All Stars, the Trojan compilation series were very yeah. successful records, and and kind of received wisdom as it that you know if if there was a if there'd been a fairer chart return um, process at the time, those reggae records would have would have reigned even more supreme than they did. You know they would have mm. been number one a lot more you know um so, some people you know feel hard done by i think you know from, mm-hmm. from the chart return system that was used at that time but that but it was definitely the popular urban music of its time so that i was exposed to it and i absolutely loved it you know mm-hmm. and i and then it was out of vogue a bit maybe circa 70 71 ish 72 it kind of went out of vogue but not with me i still listened to radio london you know and all that yeah. and and checked it all out and um and then it was around about 71 you had the very first dub records actually were made at that time and then by about 73 74 it was really starting to brew up again. Bob Marley and pe- people coming through. Yeah. And by '75, it was just it was like the blues or something could be. You know, every mm-hmm. month there were half a dozen classic cuts. Yeah. In Jamaica, you know. So that's it. And of course, being a bass, but somebody who's very drawn towards bass, even before I played it, I went to see the biggest cathartic moment probably came watching family man barrett at the lyceum mm. um, with bob marley where it was just like wow this guy's got like, the power of the universe literally at his fingertips you know it's what it's like when you play heavy bass and of course i went to blues dances at that time as well and it was a visceral um experience it was it was very physical you know? yeah it wasn't just a nice musical feeling in your brain so these were these were parties almost literally held in people's houses where they moved the sound systems in these blues parties is that that the sort of thing you're talking about yeah you i come out stepney but i go up there and with me mate ronnie another white boy but he only two white kids in, in uh, you know on that scene i think mm. at that time or you know at those parties and at that time you had the big 
those big Georgian houses, they were crumbling at the time. Mm. Now, of course, they've all been purchased and done up and they're all worth a zillion pounds sort of thing, yeah. you know. But at that time, housing, a lot of families shared. I mean, it's how I grew up. You shared with other families and people in those big houses and they started to crumble and a lot of them got knocked down um, in slum clearance, a lot of the Victorian and Georgian places. But um, they, they, at that point, that's where they tended to have those parties. Not exclusively, you'd, you'd get parties in council flats, but they liked the big Georgian places because you could have the sound system down in the basement. Yeah. So it could contain the noise a little bit and you could have, you could have you know, stuff going on on three or, or four floors. You know, mm. you have cook the food on another floor, all that kind of, you know, curry goat and everything, which I loved. Yeah. Well, one of that now. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, this this obviously is, is a good lead into your first phonographic memory choice. So, tell us about King Sunny Ade and Juju Music. Well, I've just picked that just up. There's been so much music, and I thought I thought, well, okay, let's just pick pick something from the world music genre. And I actually thought about, um, you know, Salive Kater was a big thing. The first record, Om Kasum, was some of the first. Egyptian was the very first world music I can remember listening to. She was a huge Egyptian star, you know, more popular than the Beatles, probably, mm. you know. Um, when she died, there was, you know, millions and millions of people went to the funeral. And her composer, Mohammed Abdel Wahab, you know, listened to a lot of his instrumental music over the years. But I picked King Sunny a Day just because it had a huge impact. And there's a, that, Juju music, the album, there's a fantastic dub version of that, which is mm. done by a guy called Groucho that worked at Island Records. But I just picked that because it's just such a, you know, it was a, it was a cathartic moment where you're hearing pedal steel guitar, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. played with, with African music, you know, um, and they'd heard that pe- pedal that pe- in Africa coming across the airwaves from southern states of america and stuff country music and then converted it into their african way of playing and it's just you know so complex the way all the rhythms work together that uh you know it's just drives me insane it's such a <laughs> insistent beat you know so there's only number of there's been so much great music i've, I've been exposed to and i thought well i haven't talked about king sunny a day for ages you know but jude it was it was a really hot ticket for a couple of years you know and and people should this find a dub version which will be out there somewhere the dub version is just unbelievable and i think that's why because it's like i've got reggae in there there's so you've got this great african record that's Mm -hmm. got a dub mix of it as well so it kind of makes sense yes Kind of impact uh, did uh, did that track have on your playing? Do you think? All, all the African stuff. Um, 
had a huge influence. I can tell you exactly kind of um, how, um, mm-hmm. because Neville Murray, who was my percussionist at the time, and I met him round about the time Juju music came out. Mm-hmm. And so Neville become very good. He's like my older brother, a very good friend of mine, Neville. We met on a session where we're the only two non-English public school boys. <laughs> um, and we just bonded. And Neville died last year. I was very upset. Oh, bless mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really upset. I, I love Neville. I used to steal with I was going past his house in Stoke Newington at one or two in the morning, ring his bell and run off. Did you ring my bell last night? And I go, what? Did you run my bell, didn't you? I go, Nev, Nev, I live in Stockport, mate, now. I live in Stockport. I'm not going to come down to London to ring your bell, mate, yeah? But it was me. I would do that. <laughs> he was quite, he was suspicions are right. But anyway, he was great conga player, Neville. And so a lot of those Afro, uh, Afro-Cuban kind of dig-a-dick, they're triplet kind of beats mm-hmm. and i use a use i play percussion on stage as well as bass a lot so a lot of those african rhythms you know um you, you know and it's like a mosaic on juju music, how all the little bell parts are go-go bells and congas, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot of that with Neville. So it becomes a huge part of that's how I hear the bass, you know, and that's how I get I, I sneak the bass in there and connect the bass to it, you know. I'm very rhythmic orientated, mm-hmm. you know. That's rather than most people that probably learn chords and come to music chordally. For me, it was really the rhythm side of things was the most important you know well that's often the way i mean the some of the best bass players that's that's what they do that they you know is they, they're that whole thing about playing in the pocket and having that groove do you know what i mean and it, you need to be able to leave space in there you need to be able to work with the drummer and supply that bottom end but not crowd it out because as soon as you start doing that then you know, and then you've got a singer and something else over the top it just becomes a bit of a mess. So there's like an art of minimalism, isn't there, in what you do with the bass guitar? Very much, very much. And it's for with me, but part of my trademark is not to play on the one because the, mm-hmm. the bass drum's normally on the one. So yeah. you've got a boof in there. So I like two, three, four, boof, boo, do, 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 and then it becomes like a kind of sinew you know you're you're playing as i mentioned those triplets you're kind of the notes that you're as you if you're dancing i'm doing the note that pulls your foot from the floor so you're on the beat boom bass drum and then up with the bass yeah so the bass gives it an elasticity really and it's the sinew that connects the bones of the drums and the rhythm together you know and and it's so much more effective sometimes when you have a line and you think, how can I improve this line? It's not by adding notes, it's by taking notes out. Yeah. You know? yeah. And this is the thing, generally for musicians, they it's like actors who overact. And if you say too many lines and you or you play too much, it's like you're being a bit hysterical. Um, you know, in fact, you could say it starts to be a little bit kind of boorish in a way, yeah. you know, yeah. when people just completely don't, I don't kind of think about yeah look at michael kane how he talks of 
very few lines and just how a small gesture means a lot on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, like, I can. I remember watching an interview with Prince and him saying, like, you know, they were, they were asking him about his band and the sort of skill level that he looks for and all that sort of thing. And he said that it's one thing to have, you know, ten of the greatest musicians in the world behind you, but the hardest thing in the world is to get them to stop playing. Uh, so, you know, just like <laughs> this is not your time. Like, you shut up for two bars because we're going to do this bit. And I don't yeah. want everyone yeah. showing off at the same time because that never works. Well, that's right. That's absolutely right. And um, that's one of the things I like with him was the economy of his records. You know, there isn't very big reverbs and, you know, you can just do the quite brave movements on the faders when they're mixing it, you know, and all that. And, of course, I played with him, albeit Did briefly. you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm the guy who it was Purple Rain had come out and it was mm -hmm. a big thing. We were in Minneapolis and Prince wanted to play with us. So he got up and played. He licked my bass, good strings, by the way, and said, <laughs> nice and greasy, just how I like them. And I'm the guy, I was a drinker at the time. We were invited back to, I got on with him. We had a chat, you know, we were invited back to Paisley Park. And I said to the tour manager, no, I'm not really. Let's just go find an Irish bar somewhere and all that, you know. And I couldn't see what the big deal was because I, I, I you know, was could be you know, so wayward in those days, you know. <laughs> and I'd got him confused with Sylvester, you know, the guy. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, Sylvester, I don't care about that. One of yeah, them's six I, foot and, one and one of them's five foot nothing. What's going on? Yeah, well, there you go. And I somehow got it confused, as I do from time to time. And I couldn't work because I, because I, I was, I think I said to him, I love you single. I think it's fantastic, you know, and um, I couldn't understand why that wasn't. No one wanted to play that that night, you know. Um, so anyway, that was just a, just a daft drunken story with me at that time, you know. But I got on with him, and it was it was a, having had a great time and everything. But when we were supposed to go, I said, no, no, find an Irish bar somewhere. Which actually, you can find Irish bars anywhere in the world, but probably in Minneapolis at that time was probably a tall order. <laughs> to be honest, but, uh, I always would fight. Just the default position was just get the Irish bar. Nobody's yeah. I'm on the Irish bar. There'll, there'll, there'll be a serious drinkers bar. Um, should we move on to your second phonographic memory then? Alex Harvey, tell us about this one. Faith either. Well, yeah, yeah. Again, the reason I chose it is because I haven't mentioned it for a while. It was a big, mm. it was a big favourite of Johnny Lydon's as well. It's probably one of the ways we bonded. I mean, mm. so they might not have been pill without um without Alex Harvey. Um, mm. I didn't like that many white acts. It, back then, music was black music or white music. Mm. So everybody, when I saw the Pistols program recently, everybody was on that, like Steve and Chrissy Hine character in it, were eulogising about Bowie. And I remember everybody loved Bowie at that time. They loved mm. it. You know, he was God. And I liked Bowie, but I wasn't, you know, I really did. I thought it was great. But at the time, Stevie Wonder was the man for me, you know. I knew yeah. all the lyrics to, to Inner Visions. You know, I loved the sound of Philly. And it was black music, you know. Mm. That was the stuff somehow really captured. I was fascinated with Fatback Band and, you know, Jimmy Castor Bunch and the yeah, Isley yeah. Brothers. You know, these, this fun, I was just fascinated with all that, you know. But there was one or two white, Quadrophenia I loved. And I, mm. and I loved Alex Harvey. I went to see Alex Harvey. At that time, in the mid seventies, he would do a show where he came through the a brick wall. It was obviously wasn't really yeah, uh, yeah. I think we should we should mention for younger viewers if you've if you've never seen Alex Harvey, just Google some live performances because he was 
in your face crazy quite a lot of the time, was he not? <laughs> well, I heard a great story. I don't know how true it is, but I'd like it to be true that he had a record company reception, you know, as you did in those days. Every, if, if you had a record out, you're on a major, you'd have a party to celebrate, mm-hmm. celebrate the fact where the record would be played and everyone would get drunk and you'd, you'd have a sort of spread of food and all that somewhere, you know. And the one I heard about him was that they had this big spread of food and this, that, and the other. And he, he, he bunked off, he, he shot out the back, went down the embankment in a minibus, got a load of the drinking boys from the embankment and said, hey, <laughs> you want to come and have a drink and, and a feed, boys? And they're like, yeah, shit, yeah, 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 sure. So he brought them all back. they come running in, grabbing chicken legs and just drinking, <laughs> and swigging, swigging from the champagne bottles and all that. And, you know, really disturbed a lot of the dignitaries from the music business there. And, that, and I'd like to believe that I could see that, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, he was very theatrical when the rest of the band were, you know. They, they were kind of menacing. That's that's what I wanted to get across because uh, when you said that you and, and John Lydon sort of bonded on that, I can see a little bit of that kind of when Lydon's in his pomp, you know, the audience isn't sure whether he's going to sing to them or, or stab them in the face. And Alex Harvey, there's a there's a brilliant clip of him playing someone like Copenhagen or something, and the Danes just don't know what's going on, but he is eyeballing them and making the people feel properly uncomfortable and yet at the Actually, same time delivering yeah, a great which, which which takes some doing you know these yeah, front people yeah. they they can be very annoying singers i mean like really could really annoy me you know they're really <laughs> annoying but you but but they've got a real job to do it's quite a lonely job being the front man it's probably one down less terrifying from being a stand-up comic i think yeah. wow you know a lot of respect there because it's you know it's so scary but it's only i've only just twigged all these years later Alex, well, was probably an influence on Johnny. If your body's feeling bad And it's the only one you have You want to take away the pain Go out walking in the rain Watch the flowers go to bed Ask the man inside your head Your spirit never have to grieve All you got to do is Did you feel like you had to develop like an onstage persona in a kind of a similar way? Or did it come naturally to you? It's just naturally grown over the years. I mean, I uh, I was always, we were always mucking about. So if you look at early Pill, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of fun going on mm. in the photos. There's a lot of mucking about. And John early days, because he was one of, he was from that background, you know, we, we were exuberant. We'd have a drink and we'd we'd have a laugh, and we didn't take things too seriously, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think I never ever thought, oh, I should act like this, or I should act like that. I just did whatever comes spontaneously. But there were times over the years where I'd get so into the base that I'd probably seem very introverted on stage, even, mm. yeah. you know. And there are times even in a set now where I really do interact. We have a lot of fun. 
I move about a lot on stage. I do a bit of Pilates on stage, all kinds of <laughs> stuff. So it's all lots of fun. But the point comes two thirds away through where I probably don't say as much because you're starting to get deeply into some of the grooves and mm. it just takes you, you know. But no, I never really thought of doing an on having an on stage. But I, I really one of the things that makes me cringe is when people have often obviously worked so hard on their image. There's a desperateness to it. But I guess for some people you've seen it, you know, it work, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, and now politicians, of course, for years, you can see they're taking lessons in how to present themselves and, yeah. you know. And, and what you get, what you pick up with that is a lack of authenticity. Totally. I, yeah. I think back in those days, there was a there was a kind of you know, people. It's that funny thing where there's a naturalness to it. People have obviously worked on their act. You know, there are because it's it, a lot of this is connected very much with music hall. It's most believable when there's an authenticity to it. You just think, God, you know, this person really is just an oddball. Look, look at um, Cooper. What's the, mm. the comedian? What's his first name? Bloody hell, I'm going Oh, Tommy. Him. Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper. Tommy oh, we Cooper. love Tommy. You just think, what, what an oddball. What an, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. what an oddball. You know, so, you know, obviously a lot of the acts thought out and they're not that like that 24 hours a day, but basically what an oddball, you know. Yeah, Tommy. yeah. I mean, you, I can't think of anyone like him now. Yeah. But that that's interesting, though, that like your first experiences of playing live with Pill, like you had such a confrontational crowd that you had to deal with and you didn't think of kind of creating something to protect yeah. yourself, like an Some alter sort of ego. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or even just psychologically, you know, coming up with a sort of character just to help you go out on stage and face a crowd like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was, um, you know, God, I mean, I used to, at least I wasn't in right, it's for the singer, would get it worse, mm. I think, back mm. then, you know, because you had, what you had was loads of people spitting. Yeah. yeah. You know? So you'd look up in God. the lights and you'd see, it was like rain, you know, like rain oh. uh, under, a, under a lamppost, I'm afraid to say, you know. You know. Um, so that was probably worse than, than but, you know. A worse lot than of the this, pig's I, head, though. Yeah. You know, I'd take the pig's head over the spitting, I think. Yeah, sure, yeah, because sometimes, you know, sometimes with singers, you have to sing with your mouth open. Oh, you know, no, don't means, go there. Don't. Yeah, yeah, and there were apparently cases of hepatitis happening because, you know, somebody's, oh, yeah. You know, a big green projectile was entered their mouth. I won't say anything. <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. But uh, we, I didn't go down this. I didn't start this line. Of no, no, this is all, no, it's all my fault. Don't worry us, about it. Just tell it like it is. My God. But That's I mean, a lot, of that, a, lot, a lot of that stuff that would, around the music scene was a lot of it's, it's posturing like Sid. Sid wasn't really a hard man. Not really. Yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of it's posturing. It's kind of pantomime, tough guy stuff, you know. Um, it's very, it's very sort of British because it's like you, you know you're, you're modern day British football hooligans coming in. Do you want some? And all you know yeah. these blokes, you know these chubby old middle aged blokes, you know with three quarter length shorts, <laughs> standing in three quarter length jeans on, you know jumping yeah. about, and it's kind of you know it's it's kind of just postulating yeah. as much as anything, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's leave the world of spit behind. <laughs> it's like, see, I wanted to be a rock star of many types over the years, but I think I'd always I'd always give punk a little sidestep because I just didn't fancy all that that gobbing. That didn't, yeah, 
Doesn't do it for me. But um, no, no, no. I, I, uh, that made me not want to be a lead singer. That sure. <laughs> don't blame you. <laughs> Spare me the hepatitis. Let's talk about something a bit more spiritual and deep. Then, so Trinity Rasta determination. Tell us about that. Well, yeah. Again, it was just like, okay, let's just think of something and let's let's just go off on a tangent. And when I heard this, um, I really there was something about that that. The, the, I don't even. I, do you know what? I don't even know. Who played bass on it. It's a fantastic, fantastic line. It's got a slightly curious way of having been phrased, and um, I just like the whole persona with Trinity at that time seemed really hardcore. Yeah, absolutely hardcore. Don't know much about him. Um, a mate of mine sort of met him and and um, and dealt had some dealings with him. Said he was a real tough guy. Very very nice. But had a, all I know is he had reputations being a real, you know, and yeah. some real t- Jamaican tough guys. You know, he said he really had a reputation as a really had a reputation as a tough guy. Love is the word, and some say war is the answer. The one thing on the love can conquer. Oh, you mean? You know? Sing it not to dread, can't dread with the dread of punishment. War in Africa, did you say that war in America? Did you say that war in Canada? Did Obviously, I wanted something to represent Jamaican record, and I thought Trinity's, I think, I think fairly obscure. I think most people would know that the Iroh, it's, it's the heavier end, isn't it? It's, the, it's definitely the you know, it's not your it's not it's not anything you before you're going to cover. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's really quite, um, it's really hardcore. And yet again, with those records, there's not much to it. You know, it's, you know, you hi-hat, bass, bass drum and the vocal, really. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. You know, everyone goes on about the magic of dub. There's really great playing, but there's not, you know, there's not much on it. Nearly you know, three quarters of signal is normally bass, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Speaking of bass, one of my I, I live next to the river here, and I, one of my neighbours on their boat has just fired up their stereo. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. <laughs> adding a bit of atmosphere, uninvited atmosphere. Where are you? Where are you? What, boat, uh, where? I'm in Hackney Wick, so Fish Island, so just next to the oh, River Lee. Oh, I yeah. used to walk around there, Dace Road and Percy Dalton's. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I used to. I used to love walking down there, Free Mills River and all that yeah, before the stadium yeah. was built it was yeah, a yeah. huge kind of um yeah it was a wasteland i mean yeah i love walking for miles around there you know? did you not feel a bit vulnerable being out in there because it is a bit dystopian i mean it was a bit dystopian like you say before the stadium was built at that time i was black belt kind of um oh. guy. <laughs> 
That'll so come in he handy. He's a geezer who knows how to handle And I'll just, yeah. I just, I would used to just bowl about absolutely fearlessly at that yeah. time. <laughs> now, now would be another issue, you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, you're unlikely. Would... I mean, you'll probably just get a French bulldog barking at you or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love someone. Dogs someone else well. going, Have you got any sourdough, mate? Yeah, 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 exactly. But no, it would be another, it'd be another issue now. But yeah, for a while there, you kind of feel you sort of a bit of malta or something. But yeah, I used to walk for miles around there. Uh, it's actually quite a mystical part of the world. Supposedly, a ley line goes up there from, ah, one of those. Uh, from Blackheath, kind of. Way. I've heard talk of that before. Yeah, and you had a big, um, you had a big um, monastery there. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, that's where Stratford, as you see, a bit further over, that's it, this whole occult thing. That's where the animals were, as they were brought into London, would be slaughtered. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then kind of taken in. It's a strange. And also it was the, it's a key little area. It was, it was exactly where the um, Dane law met Anglo-Saxon. That was the boundary. So right. to the east was Dane law and to the west was Saxon. And now we have Westfield. So. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, the magic yeah. has been has been Not really maintained. Progress, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I remember you. I, I remember when you had a little sad ass little um, uh, shopping mall at Stratford. You know. Oh, it's still um, there. The sad, the sad shopping mall is still. It's oh, still is it? very there sad. Still yeah. desperately sad. Yeah, I was in there the other day. Um, can, can we talk about your musical? Uh, life now because before we introduced you um, we were just talking about the the track that you released with your son Dim Sum which I'm a little bit obsessed with perfect little pop tune what what are you how do you define the music that you make now if you can define it well the kind of terms I, I liked where people talk about world music and you've got to have labels you might say i don't mm. like labels but you need some kind of linguistic designation in life you know yeah. so otherwise you go to the supermarket you're lost in you you know <laughs> yeah. um you know so and, and i like world music but the term i preferred most were actually talking to people like annette coleman they used the term fourth world music which i, mm. I thought was lovely so you got this it, it paints a picture of deep primal kind of you know connected roots third world music with a new way of technology a new way of doing things is kind of hybrid you know of stuff but basically if in a, in a nutshell um what i try and do is connect with the absolute i suppose you know mm-hmm. and i think the i think the absolute if you just think of uh, not even in terms of theology but terms of um your your awareness your your, your the, that that awareness we've all got at all times that we're aware of our thoughts our feelings our emotion this kind of sky like awareness yeah. that's that's inherently knowing and calm and compassionate and it, and somehow the music comes from that somehow often our subconscious is close to that maybe what they sometimes call the alaya in Indian in 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 Indian terminology, Sanskrit terminology. So this this deep, very deep consciousness, um, which isn't the absolute, but maybe that's the nearest thing we've got to it. And that somehow these movements come through that because there's often a feeling when I play the music that this this has been pre-existing, that this is just wow. there and it's channeling through me. It's really not a case of me 
I'm now making up this baseline. I'm a very clever chap, and I'm, this is what I do. You know, there's a feeling whenever it happens that you're. It's, it's honestly, you know, it's a bit corny, but I never said this exactly like this before. It's been like being a medium or something. Wow, yeah, you're channeling yeah. something up. Yeah, you you just that's what always happens. So people say, Well, yeah. did you just make that up? And it's like, Well, look, I don't fucking understand how this works. <laughs> yeah. to be it's just I can give you a load of flannel because I can talk a bit as well. So that's great. It's it's handy of it to have a bit of flannel. I've got the uh, kiss the blarney stone literally, you know. But um <laughs> but actually I don't really know. You know, it just comes yeah. And, yeah. and that's the miracle that I love, you yeah. know. And that's the miracle you yeah, that that and it's something it's all within a con it's all within an arena of silence so you know there's times i've sat with you know monks where you don't you're not even talking to them but you're sitting you're just sitting informally this is at music festivals this has happened you know and you're mm-hmm. sitting there and there's a deep feeling of calm and contentment and not wanting not waiting for what's the next thing there isn't any path there isn't anything to be done everything's just fine you know and um that's it's very similar feeling to what comes then when you're making that music this relaxed thing you know it really come you know from essentially the sort of uh, the tail end of punk which is you know all headless energy in some ways um i mean you seem to have come on a really long spiritual journey now and certainly some of your music um throughout the last 20 years has been you know i mean i don't want to call it spiritual music but it's got a vibe about it you know i mean it's got you're obviously dealing with deeper concepts and you're interested in in different cultures and different ways of expressing things i mean what sort of a journey what what sparked all that journey off do you think well i never really liked punk to be honest i didn't Mm. like i found it very limited punk yeah. music i like punk itself was fantastic because it was a passport for you know but to be honest how we saw it wasn't like a commodity so i come with that working class background where you have fun you're not looking to treat people or things as commodities at that point you know mm. um so it was just the thing we could have fun with but of course it did then open up the door to play an instrument for instance and to express yourself so that was wonderful punk music itself with one or two notable exceptions like the spiral scratch ep buzzcocks mm. um you know boredom and all that stuff i loved but i never really liked so i never was in a punk band it was all this very revolutionary movement with extremely limited conservative you know four or five blokes you know, yeah. playing guitars, you know, sort of thing, and um, playing playing rock chords, a bit rock and roll, you know. And it, I think it took post-punk to go beyond that. Post-punk was mm. really very, um, for me, was the musical equivalent. You know, so often musical forms follow the fine art forms. They're about 30 years behind normally. You know, with Impressionism, Berlioz was probably, I mean, I might be wrong here, but I don't think so years after Monet than mm. people, you know. That's how it, and I I think really like Pill, Melt Box, we were very similar to the abstract expressionists of the 50s. You yeah. Know? And actually as well, very like, even if you go back to the expressionist movement early 20th century, um, you know, very similar in sentiment, you know, these broad, naked brushstrokes and all that, you know. Mm. So that becomes something else. But to, to answer the question, I always had that in me. I read the Upanishads at 15. I was very drawn 
down mm-hmm. that road of Eastern. I was brought up a Catholic. When I was being an altar boy and I'm being in the uh, in, in preparing a church for funerals and all that, you know, they'd yank me out of the class at 10 a.m. and I'd have to set all the candles up and everything around the mm. coffin. It was freaky actually because you're on your own with a coffin <laughs> yeah. in this great big church. Paulpers funerals they were those ones. But anyway, you look at the at the candle for the Holy Spirit represented the Holy the Holy Spirit that was always burning, and there was something about that that I intuitively understood as formless, all pervading, you know, um, and and that what it, what it represented really I, for me was this background sky-like awareness that I'm talking about. That mm. it's not mine; it's what we all have, you know. But it's you you can't count it as this one. You can't conceptualize it in any way but it's because it's not in time and space how can you think of anything outside of time and space you can't you can only intuit it and that's where the music is intuitive you know you intuit i intuit the bass lines they come from somewhere it's intuition you know rather than rather than the thought process because thought is kind of um almost material it's almost a frozen energy of sorts you know it can't possibly move as quick as that the spirit thing because it's as i said it's it's all it hasn't hasn't got to travel because it's already there you know it's here and there so it gets quite deep i think it's it's refreshing to hear it spoken that in that kind of context though because i think you do quite often when you watch i watch a lot of rock documentaries and sometimes you do get the feeling that they're just going yeah i did that that's pretty cool (laughs) well it's nice to hear that someone say like you know i'm in the right place and i'm feeling the vibes there has been experience with psychologists with students where you get two or three groups of students and you and they they play a, a video game of some kind is designed for them to play but one group the 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 dice so to speak are loaded in their favor so they can't mm-hmm. not lose and so they win all the money in the pot and blah 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 and then at the end of it all they're interviewed and say well why do you think they won you won and they will always feel that they were they made the cleverest move they were just clever mm-hmm. and they were cleverer than everybody else and so often People have been fortunate enough to be in a position where karma comes to fruition very much in their favour at that time, you know, maybe because they deserve it for some past life thing or something, who knows, you know, getting into past lives can get pretty corny because I'm not myself in this life, so I was myself in a past life. (laughs) you know um you know if you know what i mean you know so Mm. you know people always tend to big themselves up rather than just thinking you know what been quite lucky here and this has been it's always a coming together of factors but people will nearly always make their their factors the most important thing you know you'll Mm -hmm. see that in political memoirs and all that you know rather than being kind of relaxed about it and the real genius is to understand that because then you're then you're free of your own bloody ego yeah that's good, yeah. You know? yeah that is great well, I, I mean it's fascinating i think we could talk about this for for days and days by the sounds of things but thank you so much for coming on today i really enjoyed talking to you and thank you for all that wonderful music you've made over the years it's been really interesting thank you john thank you very much Simon, and thanks very thanks much Deb. Yeah. thank you pleasure speak to you soon
Thank you. See, I've got another one to do now straight away. I bet it, won't, oh, be I bet it won't be as deep as that. Sometimes, well, you, make, oh, sometimes, sometimes you make the mistake you have a deep one. You think we're on a deep roll. The person you're talking to really doesn't want to hear that. So, no, yeah. it's all welcome <laughs> on what goes around. This is what we're all about. Exactly. Thanks for yeah. going deep with us. <laughs> yeah, lovely. I'm jealous that you've been on a boat in Fish Island, by the way. That's cool. Oh, That's come and visit any time. Any time. Oh, okay, okay. Just don't we'll ring my go. doorbell at two o'clock in the morning yeah. and run away. <laughs> no, those days are gone. Don't worry about that. Okay, speak to you soon. Bye bye. Love love is the word. And some say war is the answer. The one thing on the love can conquer. Oh, you mean? You know. Sing it not to dread candid with the dread of punishment. To dread candid with the dread punishment. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode of What Goes Around. We very much enjoyed making it and talking to Mr. Wobble. It was lovely. Um, listen, if you like our stuff, and I'm presuming you do because you have made it all the way to the end of the episode, why don't you do us a favour? Obviously, we want you to like and subscribe and possibly, if you possibly could, and you're an Apple user, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. But mostly, we just want you to spread the word. Go tell it on the mountain, as we used to sing in school. Please tell people about what goes around podcasts and get them to listen at gunpoint if necessary. Thanks. Did you say that war in Canada? Did you say that war in England? all over the world, I would say. Come and say, all who can hear must feel. So the prophet revealed. Lift up thy gate of fire.